Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two. It's the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. Uh, we haven't been canceled yet, um, despite a crazy week where not only has there just been an absolute fire hydrant of news, but also because uh, both Brian and I's computers were really adamant about not letting us actually record the show. We had this wonderful like 45-minute interview with David Hale of ESPN. Talk about the ACC. That got eaten. We're going to have to do it again and hope that he's uh, as insightful that we ask slightly better questions this next time. But right now, everything seems to be working. I'm excited about this conversation. How are you holding up, Brian? Uh, you know, coming off uh, Pac-12 Media Day, a little trying to trying to stay fresh, trying to stay uh, catch, catching up with it with the news, which uh, never stops. You know, it seems like uh, every every couple of minutes, you know, you're getting a text from somebody or, or an email or a call, or there's just so much going on right now, and, and and so much more coming too. You know, I think you know with with August rolling around, a lot of folks want to get some business done before. You know, students are returning on campus and, and really that next wave of things happens and, uh, you know, throw in, you know, rising COVID cases and, and everything that we're dealing with off the field. It's just been just been a crazy week, I, I think, for, for everybody involved in college athletics. Yeah, we, it, this is it's important to stay hydrated. You know, I, I say this as I'm like sipping a Diet Mountain Dew or recording this, which is pro- probably almost literally the worst thing I could be drinking right now. But uh, I think all of our blood is a little bit more caffeine than than regular blood at this point. Um Today, I want to kick off what's going to be a series of podcasts I'm, I'm excited about. To, 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 we don't want to just do the same kind of old conference previews that a lot of your college football adjacent podcasts and websites are going to be doing because Extra Points isn't really just a college football newsletter, and I don't really view this as just a college football podcast. So we're going to be reaching out to experts in various conferences to give us a state of the conference. We want to talk not just about some of the major football storylines, because that, that is generally the biggest story. But talk a little bit more about who some of the important figures are off the field, like athletic directors, presidents, um, what, how, what, what their general feel is of the state of the conference and where that league is going. We want to start with uh, the league everyone's talking about right now. That's right, folks. We're going to talk about the Atlantic Sun. Um, we are not going to talk about the Atlantic Sun. We're going to talk about the SEC. Uh, we're going to bring in my my friend, my old colleague from Vox, uh, my f- deep friend of Going for Two and, and Extra Points over at, at Moon Crew. We're going to talk to Richard Johnson. Richard was a, a part of the Split Zone Duo podcast, which I also highly recommend. He has been a, a member, was on the, the SEC network talking about the SEC last football season. We may be seeing him on TV again this year. He's a, a proud graduate of the University of Florida and a native son of Gainesville. I want to talk to him a little bit about how he sees how everything's going down. So, Richard, I'd love to ask you maybe a dumb question right up front because we've had a couple of days now to, I think, digest from the the shock factor of this whole thing and kind of get the immediate screaming out of our system. And I'm wondering, as somebody who is from an SEC school and an SEC market and has been following a lot of these teams for a long time, like what is – What's just your, your gut feeling about this thing, this massive change? Is this something that you are looking forward to? Do you think this is going to improve the product? Or do you think the unwashed populist masses hollering about this, like me, have a point? Yeah, Matt, it's, it's funny because I think that both of us have a very privileged point of view on this or, or come from a, a privileged background based on this. You being an Ohio State guy and, and myself being a Florida guy, like these – these changes only affect us in a positive way. I mean, if you want to talk about, okay, maybe Florida may lose to Texas in the future, that's fine. They still get to play Texas in the future. And that is awesome. And I cannot wait to see that. 
So selfishly, selfishly, and, and I will admit that that is what this is or what this stems from. It's sure. cool that Florida's uh, home and home with Texas in 2030 and 2031 is now a conference game every single year. I enjoyed my time in Austin. Uh, when I went for a weekend, I got sick, so I wasn't able to fully experience the city. I would love to go back with buddies from college or what have you um, and and enjoy a game day weekend at Austin and watch Florida play. Um, that, that's going to be really fun. Frankly, the prospect of Alabama and Oklahoma playing once every year or two is really fun and a lot more fun for me than watching Alabama playing Mississippi State or watching Oklahoma play Texas Tech. Like it just is now. That is not to say that that the that Kansas State fans and Iowa State fans should not be aggrieved. That doesn't st- that doesn't say that um, I don't feel bad for them. It doesn't say that I I it doesn't say that I even am infatuated with what Texas and Oklahoma are doing. But I do think I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite and say I don't see the benefits of Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. And I haven't even talked about my paycheck from the SEC network, <laughs> who I would dearly love to continue paying me as they did last year because I had a great time. Yeah, I, I think it, it, this, this is a much better deal if you are somebody that occasionally gets paid by the SEC than if you were on the hypothetical Big 12 or like <laughs> yes. the, the Big Sky yes. Network or something, right? And and looking at this through the prism of Florida fanhood, or at least like somebody who grew up in that world, I think is interesting too, right? Because like, yeah, you, it's fun to watch helmet games, right? Of like big big time brands who are very successful playing against other ones. Florida, Oklahoma, Florida, Texas games should be on the most for the balance of it, fun and not just fun for football, but fun for softball, fun for basketball, fun for a lot of other sports. And and to you, that's a worthy trade-off if it means that you might not see Florida LSU every year or less Florida Tennessee or less Florida other SEC teams. If it means that you might have to go wait another year for, for some of those games, that's from your you view that as still a net positive? Yeah. I mean, look, they've played LSU forever. I think they, they've been on this rotation with LSU, I think, since like 95 or something. Um, and then LSU got good, obviously, uh, when Nick Saban got there. And and then it became – so yeah. And then it became, um, uh, you know, an appointment game or what have you because both teams were good. Both schools were good. And then the hurricane thing happened a couple of years ago and it injected some fierceness to the rivalry in literally the dumbest way possible. Um, but as far as sort of moving forward, the SEC has a problem with the fact that they don't play everybody every year or, or even in a, in a, in a rotation that is like, that, that makes sense or is equitable. Like A&M just played Georgia for, I believe the first time last year, Florida played Ole Miss last year. For the first time in forever, and I'm pretty sure they only did it because of the pandemic shift in the scheduling, the conference only scheduling. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I have friends at Auburn that I would love to go visit on a game weekend. They haven't played Auburn since I think 2014, and Auburn is geographically the closest SEC school to Florida. And so it's 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 just funny how things work. Um, and so I would love to see a rotation that makes sense that you can get a, as a college student, whether you're an athlete or or just a regular college student, that you could see uh, Florida play the entire league outside of your pod, which I assume is the way they'll go four four pods of four. Um, I, I would love to to have that be somebody's college experience. They get to see the entire conference um, in, in their four year stretch at school. 
Well, and then the flip side, too, is that we do get some some rivalries back. I mean, Texas, Texas A&M, the, the one that I grew up, you know, going to seeing and, and we get that back. Obviously, you have Oklahoma, Missouri playing again. You have Arkansas and Texas, some of the old S, SWC schools back back together. That, to me, is, is also kind of the unintended consequence of this is that we do get some renewed rivalries. And, and I think that that's important to kind of point out in this whole mix up. Everybody's focused on, on what's happening with those current SEC schools. Some of the, the the newbies, we we get some we get some more life in those rivalries that we we have been missing, especially for those of a certain age who have some nostalgia for some of those those matchups. Yeah, A and M in Texas, uh, like yeah, it'll be awesome to get that back. You know what I mean? It'll be awesome to get that back too when A and M like has a pulse. Like it'll be awesome to do that when when A and M, you know, it, it looks like Jimbo's about to have things running. Um, and you know, Lord knows Jimbo can tank something that's good. Um, and, and maybe not maintain it, which is what happened in Tallahassee. But if we live in the reality where AM sort of gets it booted up and it's pretty fun for the foreseeable future, yeah, when Texas gets there, we, we go right back into a hating ass feud that that I cannot wait to see again. And and obviously Red River will come, but Oklahoma getting to play Missouri, right? Like that's gonna be that that Missouri fans can sit here and and say they don't want that. Yes, you do. You hated Oklahoma in that conference. And it was one of those things, Duke Maryland style, where Duke doesn't know you exist and you beat them once and it's everything, right? And and that's yeah. what it was in Missouri in, what was it, 2007, when Missouri won. Um, you know, it, 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 Oklahoma didn't even know you exist and then you beat them and it's the best night ever. You know what I mean? I, the, the most recent example I could think of that was like, uh, I don't, I don't, I've lost all sense of time because age and the pandemic has ruined me. But when Temple beat Penn State, on that year when Penn State only had like two offensive linemen and Penn State <laughs> yeah. like Temple was rushing three and like getting to the quarterback every single time. That was Temple's Super Bowl. Like they hate Penn State with a, a deep spiritual loathing. And Penn State fans are like, I literally never think about Temple. Like I will forget about this game in, in a week. And that's kind of how this is. And it's funny. I, I, I was listening to your last show you know, on the, on the drive back over here about how Texas is the school that's catching all the bullets about all of this. But – it's not like Texas has been in the Big 12 since time immortal. Like that was kind of the whole existence of the Big 12 was kind of this shotgun marriage. And it's not like Texas and Kansas State have been together for 200 years. You could argue that coming back in here restores at least as many games or produces as many relevant historical games as what they're giving up on, on, on some level. Yeah, it, it's not like Florida's leaving the SEC. Yes, this is substantially different in my opinion because of that than Nebraska leaving, right? Nebraska leaving and Nebraska taking the Texas game and taking the Nebraska-Oklahoma game away when they left. That's a very different thing than Texas and Oklahoma taking away Texas versus Iowa State. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, That is just a, a substantially different proposition. Yes, you're right. That the, the quick history lesson for your listeners, yeah, Oklahoma and Texas – uh, brought the factions of the Southwest Conference and the Big Eight remnants together in the early 90s, right around the time the SEC souped up to 12 with Arkansas and and uh, and South Carolina. Arkansas, a Southwest Conference former team that that left. Um, yeah, they, they brought it in 1993. This is this is not some conference that has had this like deep history until the beginning of time. Texas and Oklahoma played each other way back when and it was awesome and they and it was a non-conference game for the history of time until basically my lifetime. 
Could, could you imagine two heavyweight programs playing all the time out of conference, like an annual thing? That's Absolutely not. Preposterous. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're talking real quick about some of these uh, not blue bloody kind of programs within both of these leagues, one of the things I, I, I want to do a thought experiment. I know this is gross, but but just stay with me here. Let's pretend for a moment you're a Mississippi State fan <sighs> or an Ole Miss fan or, God forbid, a Missouri fan. Um uh, that, you, that didn't go to the journalism school there. And and you are if you're trying to think about what this means for your football program or even some of your other revenue sport or, or major sport programs. You are about to get a gigantic bag of money dropped in your athletic department, which is cool, but you don't get a dividend check from that. Like the, the, no, no one's paying out extra profits to the fans. And you also are never going to make the college football playoff or probably never going to make a 12-team college football playoff. Or, or if you do, it would be a very rare occurrence. And you're ability to win seven games is not going to get a lot harder. You are now the homecoming opponent for like seven or eight different teams in this conference. So walk me through. I know what the presidents are going to do. I know what the, what, what the suits are going to do here. Walk me through why you should be excited if you're a Mississippi State fan beyond the fact that your school is about to now have enough money to refurbish their baseball field yet again. Yeah, I, I think you need to get – I think we need to give – those fans the credit for the amount of cognitive dissonance that they've already done. Like Mississippi state fans, I'm sure there are some, but I cannot imagine the bulk of Mississippi state fans go into every year saying, yep, we're beating Alabama this year. We're beating Alabama this year. 10 wins is the floor. See in the playoff more than likely. Like, you know, by and large, the majority of them are not stupid. What they have already done and what they have done for forever, and honestly, it's the reason why rivalry games persist, is because they are the side quest competitions for the non-national championship level of the sport <laughs> to keep satiated. I mean, it is. It really is. Like Mississippi, I, the Egg Bowl is college football's DLC. That's what yeah, I'm hearing right here. When, when, when Kansas and, and, and when Kansas and Missouri were in the same league, besides 2007 – were either of those teams ever going to win the national championship? Of course not. But they wanted to beat the shit out of each other in Kansas City. Like, yeah, that matters. And that's why I think pe- like people were like, well, it's one of the reasons why I, I think there was a lack of juice in last year's college football season. Because we lost some of those rivalry games, particularly the ones that go across conference lines. Um, you know, I, I do think that like rivalries are the under-the-radar engine for a lot of the the vast majority of the sport who cannot get to the championship. They weren't going to get to the championship when it was two. They can't do it now that it's four and they probably can't do it when it goes to 12. Um, And, and, and so, you know, that keeping that I think is really interesting and keeping that I think is really important. And that's why Texas, a team that has lost three losses uh, at least for, what a decade now um yeah, you probably, our, our professional career basically. yeah you uh yeah texas you get to keep your rivalry with oklahoma you get another rivalry you get another side quest because you ain't winning the national championship anytime soon uh love to love to hear that <laughs> and I, I would also be remiss if we didn't touch on the commissioner it, it, it's funny because yeah. greg sankey's reputation uh, across college athletics maybe has done a complete 180 over the past week. It, it, it's kind of been shocking. He put on we, a black hat that yeah. we, I don't think I knew that he had. Like, uh, you know, I, I think everybody had a, a super positive impression, viewed him certainly as one of the, the, the 
top leaders in, in college athletics, certainly somebody to look towards to. He, he, he was very wonkish, you know, involved in a lot of NCAA committees, uh, part of the, the playoff expansion. And the, the Q rating was, was very high for Greg Sankey. But after he has stabbed Bob Bowlesby in the back, in, in, in a very cold-blooded kind of way to a lot of people, how would you assess Greg Sankey's tenure so far and, and what this move kind of does for his reputation not only inside the SEC, but outside of it as well. Well, uh, Brian, of course, you read the statement where the SEC did not actively solicit Texas and Oklahoma. And of course, they wouldn't, you know, they, they wouldn't fib. They wouldn't lie. They wouldn't say something that's untrue there. Of course not. Um, no, I, I think that so there's a couple things here. First of all, I think the um, there is a. There is an honor among thieves situation that I think is interesting with particularly these conference commissioners, but sort of executives all across in different, uh, different factions, different fields. There's a difference in playing the game and winning the game. And there's a difference in making me look stupid. And the SEC made the bit and the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma as three separate parties together here have made the big 12 look stupid because Bob Bowlesby I guess it's a week. It's 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 the 28th right now. I guess it was a week ago that Bob Bowlesby went up on that podium and said, basically, realignment's not happening again. Because yep. as far as he knew at that point in time, um, realignment was not happening again. And then he was very quickly disabused with that notion, thanks to Brent Swinerman at the Houston Chronicle, and off we went. Um, but that is the thing. I, I think that the, the difference here is Greg Sankey and the SEC made the Big 12 look very unintelligent made it made the big 12 look like they did not know what was happening in their own house and they make it look like in retrospect they should have known what was going on given what they did with the longhorn network back in 2010 ish to satiate texas and oklahoma um and and how that did not work and and now you the thing that i have forgotten in all of this uh until today i was having a conversation this morning I didn't realize that the real root of this in what is now my opinion is when the SEC bought the 330 game from CBS. When the SEC and ESPN, I I say that to mean ESPN, when they bought that 330 game for whatever $300 million a year or whatever that, that price tag was, that really was the time that all of our alarm bells should have actually gone off. And none of them did. And looking back on it and triangulating when that happened, it was either late November, or early December, and or when it was announced, I should say, uh, finalized. And then when Texas hired Sark in December, and then you triangulate the fact that it seems like they made Sark aware that this was a thing that was potentially happening, Texas. You start to sort of put it together and you're like, huh. So the SEC pays for that game, rolls all those things together, gets get, the ESPN now has a full uh, monopoly, I guess is the right word, on the entire SEC schedule with a lot more money to be had and a stable conference network. Texas and Oklahoma have a rights deal coming up right around the time that the SEC ABC deal kicks in. Huh. Well, that makes a lot of sense now. That makes a whole lot of sense. And I don't think either of the three of us think that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in that conference in 2024 to play out the last or 2025 to play out the last year of that deal. They I doubt they'll go next fall, but 
billable hours are undefeated. They are going to they are going to settle their way out of this, and they will be gone pretty soon. Now, it is on the Big Twelve, in my opinion, to collect every single red cent owed, because and I said this on my podcast yesterday. You need the money now because you don't know what's going to happen when they leave, and if they want to leave early, that's all well and good. But whatever the sticker price is, whatever that MSRP baby is to get out of here, <laughs> exit fee and, and grants of rights remaining, yeah. well, buddy, to the cent, to the cent, you yes. are going to Venmo me every part of it. And you especially have to do that because when you think about Tech or Kansas State or some of these other schools, not only do they absolutely need that money because they don't know what the what their revenue situation is going to look like in six years from now, they've been making, they've been spending money with the assumption yes. that they're going to be making similar amounts of money. And when you are then trying to borrow or figure out your financial situation to get out of your, your COVID hole, to facilitate uh, facility improvements or, or, or borrow money from the state or, or do a bond or anything, you're doing that. I mean, it's, it's basically like, okay, I just signed a mortgage thinking that my, job, my, my salary is going to be X. And then I just found out I'm going to take a 60% haircut. Well, now I'm a little bit worried about the fact that I just paid all this money down to go redo my deck. And that's kind of what's happening here. And so collecting as big of that check as you possibly can in the beginning will soften that blow a little bit. That will become a, some other athletic director's problem <laughs> once, once that kind of generation of leaders leave. Um, Man, I, I I think you're right. When you, when you explain it that way about CBS and the 3:30 game and everything, everything you're saying there makes sense. I don't know about Brian. Brian may have had had a, been more connected than I was. I would have imagined that you and I would be having this conversation like 18 months from now. It was the timing that surprised me so much, not the final result. I think anybody that covered college uh, the the last realignment spin, just kind of how I started my sports writing career. Um, figured that we were going to be doing this again at some point, that Texas was going to go test free agency. It just wasn't now. But you know, you're know, you right, Mr. Policeman, we, they did leave us all the clues. We just didn't uh, necessarily put them all together, especially with like Texas Tech's president, what, like two months ago saying like, yeah, it's kind of weird. ESPN declined to 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 renegotiate our deal now and sign us in advance. I, I, I mean, I, I wonder why. It must be about the playoff. And like that didn't really register the alarm bells in my head immediately. But in retrospect, Maybe it should have. And I probably – I also think that for the big – like it, it's just funny like when you when you string this all together because in my opinion, like I am pretty sure that Texas A&M got wind of it, got pissed about it, and leaked it. I'm, I'm, it's, it's pretty clear based on like the way it shook out, who reported it, all that kind of stuff. I do wonder when they planned on – announcing this like if, if let's because matt and, and brian i don't know if you've talked to but every person me and matt have talked about this offline every person that we've talked to including people who are paid to know these types of things have all said nah we had no idea everybody yeah, I, everybody was blindsided all the way up to bob ballsby as we were talking about and so in my opinion i do wonder how long they thought they could they could do this behind the scenes because it's only been a week and they already sent the letter to, to say, SEC, come on. Like, th this was not some drawn-out pro process over the course of a summer, over the course of a football season. It will be once the lawyers get involved. But, like, everybody was ready to rock here. So I do wonder how long they thought they could, they could keep this under wraps and when they planned on telling the world. 
Well, well, I would point to two things. Number one, if, if you go back a little bit and, you know, when the SEC deal was announced with ABC to take over that 330 slot, that was in the middle of Disney's investor presentations. The NFL deals, when they got renewed, that didn't make some splashy thing. That was a press release. Greg Sankey's on Disney's investor day right there with Jimmy Pitaro. That, that speaks to where the company values these rights, I think, and, and how important they were to get this deal done. And, and the deal was done for, for quite a while. I would point to that. I'd also point back to last fall is, you know, look, the, the current Texas president, he was an intern. He was promoted from within. And once he kind of consolidated his power and was named the permanent job, he was named to the Big 12's television committee, along with Texas Tech's president, that was exploring those rights. So he knew more than anything what was going on. And now let's let's, let's face it, this was also regent driven. Uh, you know, he has some bosses to answer to that that are also involved in this and heavily involved in, in, in the case of this move. But this this was not just, you know, Greg Sengi sitting back and, and letting everything happen. You know, this, this definitely was orchestrated. And, and let's face it, I think the fact that it has not leaked, and, and I think from ESPN's perspective, obviously they see the landscape better than anybody. They, they know the numbers, they know the ratings, they know the ratings down to the zip code in terms of what is really going to move a needle. That's why they wanted to get this deal done away from CBS. It's why they wanted to get it done, you know, years in advance, obviously. And, and they also understand that this is a complicated media landscape that is changing. You know, you look out there, we, we've already had the, the Time Warner Discovery merger. There's probably going to be additional media mergers out there. ESPN wanted to get ahead of things and they wanted to lock up the Cadillac on the street or anybody else had a chance to even look at the model. And, and that's what they've essentially done. And, and I give give Greg Sankey a lot of credit. I mean, he he, he played this this thing perfectly. And remember this, the, the ABC and SEC network rights, right? Those, I am pretty sure, I have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure those have the same or similar expiration date, which means they want to, like Brian's saying, they want to bundle all of this together to be in the best case scenario to make their life the easiest when we do this in 2030, whatever. Like that's what, like they, they are lining all of these ducks in a row. Oh God, we got to do this again. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we do. Now yeah, I, I, I want to be on the other side of the desk of those conversations. I do wonder what the landscape looks like by then. Um, you know, I am, I have been over the last days, last couple of days, increasingly, increasingly talked into the four conference 16 team future. For Power Five plus Notre Dame, Lord knows whatever Notre Dame's going to do. Um, I, I I do think that probably ends up with where we're going. Um, Pac-12, go grab some folks. Um, Big Ten, maybe you grab I, I, ISU in Texas, or excuse me, ISU in Kansas um, to get to sixteen. But I, I do think the Big Ten may stay pat, stand pat in this sort of round. We'll see what happens in the near future. But if you're the big 12 remainder the husk of eight i think is what we called it on the podcast yesterday if you're the husk of eight if any one of you leave any one of you leave the jig is up here totally up so in my opinion if one leaves to go to the pac-12 obviously it'll be it'll be two because the package deal let's say two leave to go to the pac-12 the six remainders what are we doing here and at that point in time if you're a big 10 you can pick a kansas and an iowa state off at a bargain, right? Because they have nowhere else to go. You can say, hey guys, you guys are going to take a revenue haircut in years one, two, and three. 
our schools are going to keep more of an advanced revenue because we're renegotiating our deal. Anyway, uh, for years one, two, and three, Kansas and Iowa State, just spitballing, you guys get less of this revenue pot. It's going to be good enough for you. It's going to be better for our schools. That's going to ease you guys into the league from a monetary standpoint in a way that Ohio State and Michigan will check off and Penn State will be okay with it and Rutgers and Maryland will whine. Like, I, I do think there is a way forward here to do four conferences of 16. I do think that will mean the end of the Big 12 because I, I just – what plays – in a big 12 that includes Cincinnati, God love them and Memphis and BYU and maybe Boise. Yeah. I've, I've been telling a couple of people that if the, I mean the, I've been calling them the, the hateful eight during meeting <laughs> schools or the spiteful eight also works. We, we, we can workshop this, but like as much as Utah and American athletic fans don't want to hear this. If you invite BYU, that's your flagship school, dude. Like that's mm. that in terms of like your marketability, and your, your, your Q score, even if that's the fourth or fifth best football team in your league, compared to Oklahoma State and compared to Texas Tech and compared to Baylor, that's your flagship school. And no disrespect to my people who, uh, you know, I, I, I love as, as, as co-religionists do. If they are the most famous school in your league, your league sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least your league is not a power anything. Uh, so like that, that, then you are, you are 1985 whack, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> but it, it's not it's it's not what we're trying to build here. So that's that's going to be something to monitor. While we're talking about suits for a second, I do want to kind of steer this conversation maybe away from the existential whatever the next couple of years are going to look like to maybe what we've kind of forgotten about is actually happening in a couple of weeks, which is allegedly a football season. My God, thank you. Right, <laughs> and and when I look at this league, this is a league that that went through a lot of changes here. At the coaching level and at the roster level, and I'm wondering, heading into this season of the of the four new coaches, who are you most excited to watch? Who's the most interesting? Because it's 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 really I've been God, I'm trying. I can't get my like arouse any kind of emotion whatsoever about anything related to South Carolina. There's there's if you told me I had to write an, like an extra points about South Carolina football tomorrow, I do not think I would be able to do it. Yeah, but I, maybe you see something else. I um. Now, look, I don't know what the NCAA is going to do to Tennessee. Um, Everybody, I have not really checked up on this in a few months, but in January or whenever it was, when Pruitt got fired and, and, and the NCAA thing started happening and all that sort of stuff, everybody I asked how bad it's going to be, everybody said worse. So I, I don't know if that's changed or something about that has changed. But NCAA stuff aside, I am excited to watch Tennessee because I'm excited to watch Tennessee do something different. Um, if Hypo brings this to Tennessee in the way that they did it at Missouri when he was there and they did it at UCF just now, Tennessee is going to be exciting in a way, maybe not next year because it's still built to run Jeremy Pruitt style football. But if they can do it, I think Tennessee has a, an opportunity to be exciting in a way that Tennessee may not ever have been ever. And that I think is interesting. Tennessee, when they were at their peak, former peak, that's still running all running the ball playing defense all that it, it's not exactly the sexiest brand of football but it won um i mean were they even sexy when like neeland was in charge no no no, no. Was that I mean, offense nothing considered like- to be sexy like historically i'm 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 not sure that it was because they were undersized and as as somebody who grew up on offense as somebody who yeah. grew up watching an offensive brand of football when it's good 
when it's right, woo, baby, it is, it, it is like these people are going to have a revelation if, 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 if it is right under Hypel and the roster <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Now, I yeah. don't know that it's going to be. I, the guy's got an extra year in his co- contract that uh, that automatically gets tacked on if the NCAA comes a calling. So nobody's under any, you know, nobody's got rose-colored glasses about what the NCAA may or may not do. I think everybody sort of uh, is, is worried about that. But I do think Tennessee is the team where if they bring this offense to the SEC, I cannot wait to see what it could do. I think this would also be the one that I'm most interested in. I don't really know what to think about Brian Harson, and in my brain, I feel like I, I I've just watched enough Auburn to think like eh, they could go four and eight, they could go ten and two. It's going to be weird, and I'm not sure what kind of like through line conclusion I'm going to draw. I'm excited about Tennessee for me for those same reasons, but also in case it doesn't work at all, because I am an aficionado of garbage football. I am a son of the Midwest. I have watched a lot of 11 a.m. kickoffs featuring truly putrid football teams. So, And, and it's, it's okay to be bad as long as you are an interesting kind of bad. If you are trying to go 100 miles an hour and you go three and out and your average drive lasts 45 seconds and then you have to go you know, defend against 90 plays against Georgia or Florida, that's going – for me, that's hilarious. Like if, if Tennessee is a bad three and nine and, and be, maybe becomes something exciting and interesting, but fails in an exotic way rather than the kind of uh, uninspiring five and seven ish kind of way. I'm interested in that. Um, show me. I want to see a dead body. But and, I will this, say, has, this, this has the potential for that. Maybe I, I will say Tennessee either way is funny to watch implode because of as someone who whose alma mater is ostensibly a rival or considered past tense Tennessee a rival given what's happened the last 15 years um watching watching Tennessee implode is very interesting because a once you get east of Nashville it is only Tennessee and uh, the Vols I should say it is only the Vols that team (laughs) is not the Titans it's it's not Tennessee no yeah that team is covered like an NFL team with a voracious beat, which with way more reporters than you would think. There's a lot of people that oh. cover Tennessee. And oh, because you know of that. And reporters, like with an R. Yes. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Reporters. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and because of that, that's one of the reasons why you know so much about Tennessee, why you hear so much about Tennessee. And Dude, Tennessee this has this, Tennessee always toes this line of, I was in Knoxville, the year, this was 2012. Tennessee was like 3-0. College game day was there. They were ranked. Florida was ranked. Florida ended up beating the hell out of them. But it was a night game. It was a night game. It it was a a full day, college game day day. Everything was on ESPN. That place rocks. Really, really rocks. When they're any sniff of good. Because of the program that that is. And the variance there. Of either they're really good and it's awesome, or they're not very good and it's just a nuclear fission meltdown. Either of those like things happening is what makes Tennessee very fascinating to me always and funny. 
Yeah, there's there's no in between, right? You know, it's it's either one or the other. There's no like middling eight and five, eight and five, you know, type of seasons with with maybe a, a bowl loss thrown in there. And and to me, there's there's more interesting things with Tennessee off the field. Not only the NCAA investigation, but as we'll talk about with Danny White, the the new administration kind of coming in there, changing things over. What that ultimately means for the football program that that to me is interesting. You skipped over Brian Harson though, because I, I do think it's worth revisiting. That a guy who he doesn't have that much experience down south. I, I know he was at Arkansas State. I know he was at Texas briefly, but but that's not the SEC, and it's not Auburn, which is a very specific kind of job. And I think there's a lot of stuff going on above him related to his hire that, that I think we can also discuss uh, with regard to his AD and just the program turning over there. But to me, a, a bit of an outsider coming into the SEC, somebody who, who has proven to be a fairly good coach overall with a roster that's in, in flux with obviously Alabama and, and the national titles that they bring across the state. That, that to me is the much more interesting situation, at least on the field compared to Tennessee. So I, I know you got to head out of here in just a second. So I'll let you, I'll let you out of here on this because if there's one other thing I, I know that your your our other our other buddy your podcast co-host Alex Kirshner one thing that he loves more than anything is to fire a coach, and <laughs> that knows. is also one of the things that um, as weird as this as this is this is something even us media uh, people kind of like doing. Heading into this season, you had a bunch of new coaches coming into this league, a bunch of money coming in, pressures coming in differently. Is anybody on the actual capital H hot seat here besides Coach O? And Coach O's hot seat is also for things that aren't entirely about football? Or is there somebody that could get there? Weirdly enough, I don't really think so. I mean, it's just, I can see how things break bad. Like if Mississippi State goes over this year in, in the conference, maybe we're having a conversation there. Um, but besides that, I mean... Unless, like, the way I think things are going to break, I really don't see anybody on the outs this year. Um, I, I mean, maybe you're fed up with Mark Stoops, but that's a situation of I don't think they're going to be bad enough to necessitate it. And because of the new offensive coordinator and the quarterback situation, I think you can talk yourself into trying to run that back in 22. Um, oh, yeah, I would I would imagine if he hasn't built in a reservoir of goodwill, nobody has a Sure. Um, Auburn Auburn in 22 is going to be something to look at. I do think it's <laughs> just going to be too, Potentially a new athletic director. Yes, and, with, and with the new yeah. athletic director and all that stuff in 22. Okay, maybe, but too soon. Florida, I don't think they're going to – I don't think the floor is going to drop out that much. I, like, they're not going to go five and seven. Like, I, I just – I don't know. I, I don't really see – um, Lord knows I've been wrong before, but I don't really see the, 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 the likely roadmap, the way the conference is going to go. That takes us to a lot of hot seats and a lot of firings in the sec. At least I do think we may have a, a stand pat year. Um, now Lord knows Jimbo could go to the NFL and Nick Saban could retire and, and things get very fun. But, um, as things stand, I, I'm not sure we're going to see any, any just out and out firings. The only LSU, way- LSU to the side. LSU to the side, I, I, if you were to tell me that there was something that was not entirely football related that led to a change at either Mississippi school or maybe a couple other SEC schools, is that possible? Probably. But you can't really forecast that like in, in, in the offseason. We're looking at just as performance. Um, you, it seems that way, which, which, is, which is famous last words because, you know, 
the last year's coaching cycle was bizarre and maybe there's going to be some pent up coach firing energy from people that didn't get canned last year. Who knows? Some, some, something, some, another reason to watch if you're looking for a, an interesting storyline for a team that's not going to be Alabama or A&M or Georgia, I suppose. That's multi-loss Alabama to you. That's a, that's a Citrus Bowl participant, Alabama. You heard it here from Richard. Man, you're, Brian is shaking his head, podcasting as a visual I, medium. I'm speaking it into existence. You are, you are going to post Alabama into two losses, single single handed. Look, man, as long as that gives us something to talk about besides uh, the grant of rights situation or like the, the nuking of Kansas State as an institution. That works for me. Brother, I know, I know you got to get out of here. Um, Brian and I are going to catch up here in a second. Where else can the good people find you? Because we have alluded to the fact that you are on television. You can hear well, your dulcet baritone voice on the radio. Yes. Where can people get Richard Johnson in their life? Uh, Split Zone Duo is the podcast and uh, is the the home for the audio. Um, TV work in progress. We'll see what happens. Uh, I hope to be back next this season. I uh, had a lot of fun doing it last year with Spencer Hall, uh, Alyssa Lang, and Brandon Boykin. Uh, RJ Wright, RJ underscore Wright, excuse me, on Twitter is the best place to find me. That's where the announcements come. That's that's where I can tell you where to find me pretty soon. There is a, a constellation of conversations that we're having right now as we ramp up to the season uh, to hopefully pay rent. Um, that's awesome. I, I, I can't wait to retweet you when it finds out that you uh, are not only going to be on the SEC network, but you're joining a coaching staff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, know, I know you got to get out of here, man. Uh, thank, thanks so much for, for, uh, for hopping in here, and uh, we'll do it again soon, okay? Thanks, guys. So we, we didn't get a chance to, to dig into this too much with Richard because he's a serious professional who's in demand in lots of other places right now. But we kind of alluded to it a second ago that Auburn might be a school that's making an athletic director change. This is a league where I think athletic directors have a, are in a little have a little bit more power and influence than they might in maybe some other conferences. Who else other than 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 uh, Alan Green over at Auburn are you kind of doubly focused on or paying attention to as we head into this year? Either because they uh, are could leave their job or get another job or have or, or have some other special influence going into this particular season. Yeah, I mean, I think Alan Green is is obviously in a precarious situation in terms of you know maybe looking looking out outside of Auburn uh, to, to go somewhere else or you know potentially issues uh, surrounding the program as well. Uh, going from there. But I, I think it's it's going to be a, a situation worth monitoring over the next couple of months and years. Um, obviously, Jim Stark just announced that uh, at, at Mizzou that he's going to retire as soon as they find a successor there. Um, I'm making I'm making a this is podcasting's a visual medium. I'm making a hand gesture right now around the word retire. Yes. Um, but yes. Uh, so, so he's going to stick around until they find a, a successor. And, and let's face it, they are in a good market right now for an SEC school, um, you know, especially with some of those big 12 ADs not knowing exactly what the future holds. You know, are, are, are you yeah. able to lure Mac Rhodes back? Uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see. So I think that's a, a very interesting search that that could kind of set uh, how, how the market is, is going to shape up for the upcoming year um, when it comes to you know, SEC ADs. Uh, Ray Tanner is, is another one at South Carolina that, that I would yeah. also keep my eye on. Yeah, no, I, Ray Tanner would not be somebody that I would expect to be there at South Carolina for a long time. And we kind of forgot what a precarious position he was in, given what happened with their with their president. And, and it, it, I know that this seems like tw- a gajillion news cycles ago, but that not that long ago was like the big administrative hot mess of the summer um, at, 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 at South Carolina. And that's, you know, there's you can get paid well, but I wouldn't say that's an especially easy job. 
Yes, I, I would definitely look out after they conclude their presidential search. Once once that kind of gets sorted out, uh, the, the new guy's going to bring in uh, another new AD. And I think everybody kind of understands that. Even I think Ray Tanner is aware of things and will probably move into a, some sort of fundraising role with either the university or the athletic department. Because you know, while, while there have been issues with his tenure, I think he is you know universally respected there in terms of what he's been able to do, certainly with the baseball team uh, the, the last couple of years, you know, with, with the athletic department itself. But, um, you know, it's also interesting because there's, there's some new faces around the league too. You know, Josh Brooks has taken over at Georgia. You have Candace Story Lee at, at Vanderbilt, um, who was promoted internally there. So, and, and then you have Danny White. Uh, we, we mentioned that uh, conversation a little bit earlier. Danny White trying to get a grip on, you know, and let's face it, he has a tremendous amount of experience. He's been an AD at Buffalo at, at UCF. He's done a tremendous job. Uh, and look, he, he's got a huge challenge in front of him, you know, really getting all the boosters, getting the administration, getting the, the football program sorted out. You have a, a lot of issues to work through. I, I think he's hired well, certainly underneath him and in some of his assistants and, and, and reforming that department to really bring it up to standards after a, a bit of languish the, these last couple of years, given everything that has gone on in there in Knoxville. But that, that's certainly a situation worth monitoring to see how some of the new faces as these AD roles turn over in the SEC how they're going to kind of evolve as, as a league, because I think it's a lot of attractive programs, certainly, but uh, you have to deal with a lot off the field as well if you're in, in one of these AD chairs. I think that's part of what makes these jobs in many ways really unique. I think for a lot of schools, if you are a fan and you almost never hear about your athletic director, I think that's generally a positive thing. Like, I don't think about my roof very often. I never think like, you know, one of the things I really love about this house is that the roof is excellent. It's just there. You notice it when something bad is happening. If I'm consciously thinking about my roof or about the structural integrity of my house, it's generally not a good thing. And I think the SEC is a little bit different where you kind of do have to know about your athletic director, in part because the um, influences outside of your university can be so much stronger. And so if you, if, if you are not a very uh, strong leader, if you do not have a good wrangle on either your regent situation or your booster situation, or maybe even your friggin' governor, that um, forces that are not trained to run athletic departments may be then in practice running athletic departments. And we kind of saw that a little bit with South Carolina. We saw that certainly with that last coaching search with Auburn. Uh, and that's one of the things that you kind of have to do. And, and it's, it's, I say this not pejoratively for any industry people that are listening to this show. Like I honest to God do not mean this as a pejorative, but the, the way multiple people describe Danny White and being hired at Tennessee was he's going to do great there because he's the right kind of asshole. And that's kind of what you need to be for some of these roles where you really have to, it's not just about, okay, we're going to go hire the right marketing managers and get a great handle on our Learfield deal and, uh, you know, and, and get everybody on the same page for ticketing and promotions. It's, a, it's kind of a political animal too. And maybe you want the right kind of asshole to, to, to be in situations where you might have to be a little bit of an asshole. Well, why is Alabama so successful? Yes, it's Nick Saban, but it's also alignment. You, you hear it all the time. You, you talk with coaches, yeah. you talk it's with organizational genius. Yes, it is from the president and the boosters and the board to the athletic director and the rest of the department to your head coach and everybody underneath them. It is all of that 
working toward towards one common goal. And in a lot of these SEC departments and in a lot of these SEC states in general, that has not always been the case and will likely not continue to be the case in, in certain uh, respects. But um, it, it is a, a difficult situation for some of these folks to navigate. And, and I think it's, you know, let's face it, it, it's going to be something that is constantly there when you're talking about these SEC gigs. You know, maybe this is an inelegant way of putting it, but being an SEC AD, especially at a place like Tennessee or Auburn that have really challenging booster communities, and maybe even honestly at Alabama, it's a little bit like being former Yugoslavian dictator Tito. Because if you have an iron fist and this gigantic you know, magnetic personality, and you can kind of by sheer force of will drag all of these very disparate groups with very different agendas into doing the same thing, you can function as a state. And when that person's not there to hold it all together anymore – Everyone starts to look after their own interests and it can kind of disintegrate a little bit. And we've seen that with people who do that well. And we've seen that in places with people who have not done that so well. And that's kind of the reality. And, and I'm really curious, too, if if the increase in the media rights money, which is going to be significant. And, and a lot of these schools have already built their new facilities. They, they already have a lot of that stuff in place. Yes, you can devote some of that additional media money and, and those additional millions towards coaches' salaries, coaches' buyouts, whatever. But but I'm curious if, if the increase in media revenue and is, is going to decrease some of the reliance that some of these ADs have towards these boosters in some of these boards of regions. Because that, that to me is, is maybe a, a long-term thing to kind of monitor on, on the edges here is if maybe it does empower these ADs to have a little bit more control over what happens at their school and what happens at, with their department. But something to kind of keep in the back of your mind too with, with the millions that are headed their way. Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, I wrote about this during the Eyes of Texas situation on Extra Points because I think Texas is a good case example of that. You know, this is this another school with an SEC-like warring factions situation with their athletic department. They made enough money where they didn't have to accept a single dollar from any kind of booster between their tickets, their multimedia rights, their broadcast money, their own television network, and the fact that they were competing against the Kansas states of the world that they could have told everybody it's not worth the effort. And uh, they clearly didn't do that. It, clearly, the people that were, that were boosters were heavily involved in the eyes of Texas. They they are engaged in a really aggressive building campaign around their new basketball arena, around renovations of their stadium, to the point where they felt like they had to ask for money. So if Texas, right now, who has a, a bigger financial advantage over their current peers than almost anybody else in the country, if they don't feel empowered to do that, will everybody else get to that way? I mean – Maybe, but I, I, I don't know. Like that's there's, there's there's stuff going on here that's more than just money. But it but it, it will definitely give us no shortage of things to talk about and to write about at the end of this football season. And, and I would also be remiss if, if we didn't bring up some of the presidents involved with this. I, I think you, you hear the collective SEC presidents, and, and while they can be somewhat nameless and, and faceless, there are some some pretty heavy hitters, you know, in, in the league that are involved in a lot of big things. You know, Jerry Moorhead at, at uh, Georgia, you know, he's involved on in the NCAA Board of Governors. You have Mark Keenum at Mississippi State, uh, somebody who, who has basically been the, the face of uh, college football playoff expansion, uh, running the, the Board of Managers and, and being the SEC representative. He's going to have an even bigger role 
in terms of what the playoff structure yeah. is, is going to look like over the next uh, coming weeks and, and, and months and years. And so uh, th- there are some heavy hitters on on that. Uh, Eli Capaluto uh, at Kentucky ha- has been heavy, heavily involved these past year um, with what the SEC has been doing on the field, especially as it relates to, to COVID-19. Uh, also somebody who, who was, used to be heavily involved with the NCAA. So, um, you know, there's there's uh, you know uh, some changeover too uh, among presidential leadership at a lot of these schools. And that's you know, really you know, been reflected in terms of uh, some, some new avenues uh, that, that a lot of these programs are, are taking as well. It, it honestly is important, I think, for fans to be at least cognizant of when there's a lot of presidential turnover or where the balance of power is with presidents. Because I think what we saw last year, particularly with the Big Ten, when you have conferences where the commissioner is new, which is going to be almost everybody now, um, everybody but the SEC, essentially, depending on what ends up happening with the Big 12. Um, and if you don't have presidents that have been doing this for a long time and have a lot of history in athletic administration, you have a power vacuum. And in a, a crisis, that power vacuum can be an issue. Um, the one example I think where I'm going to be really fascinated is, is, is with President Tate at LSU, a school that has the potential for a gajillion crises if they're if you if you, you wouldn't say they're already there to continue happening not just with athletics what you're going to do with your football coach what are you going to do with title nine investigations what are you going to do to head off potential uh sanctions even from the federal department of education what you're going to do when your increasingly hostile state house um turns even more hostile either about covid or about critical race theory and again i'm making the, the hand gestures here and i'm talking about that or, or or some of these other you know big issues like this is a school that's uh and then a little bit of a mess in in a couple of different ways many of which have the potential to spill out not just into football but into other parts of the athletic department as well and you have a new guy and you have a new guy that's well-liked within this league. South Carolina would have loved to have him be their president too. Uh, but he's still new. And uh, when you have a lot of potential fires happening at once, to say nothing of things happening on the academic side, and you have somebody at the presidential chair who hasn't been there for a long time, you have the, the potential for more um, uncertainty. Yeah, and speaking of uncertainty, you'll have uh, a new president at South Carolina, likely to have a new one at, at Auburn in, in the very near future. And, you know, let, let's face it, some of the, the presidents themselves, it, it, it's a gig that uh, you, you don't have for, for 25 years. You know, the, the the link that you're in some of these positions uh, usually is, is me- measured by a decade. And if you make it past that mark, uh, you're doing really well uh, in, in your job. So it's like it's like being an offensive coordinator, right? You, you say it's a gig that you do for three years and you can't you crab the check and you go do something else or you're out, you're at Northwestern and you're there for 15 years until they drag you out. Um, and that's a good and a bad thing yes. sometimes in, in higher education. But that, I think, might be go- heading into maybe a different conversation or a, a different podcast. Yes, but but I, I would be remiss if we, if we didn't talk about where, where do you expect – the SEC to kind of be in, in, in five years. Obviously, they're, they're going to have two new members in, in Oklahoma and Texas who, who are going to be one of 16. You know, they are not going to pull their weight like they did in the Big 12. Um, and, and, and this is a league that, frankly, it ha- has a lot going for it. it. It is not only the preeminent power in college football, but uh, I think a lot of people around the league or around the NCAA are certainly looking to the SEC for uh, a bit of leadership. Where, where do you see the SEC in, in five, 10, 15 years? That's, that's a really good question, right? So there's there's a couple of things that I feel really confident about, right? This is easily the premier college football league. I mean, it was before expansion. It, it definitely is now. It's going to be, uh, if it, you know, it was before expansion, even more so now, a premier basketball league for men's and women's. It's already the premier baseball and softball league. I think not only is that going to continue, but this is the league that's going to push for 
the ability to spend more on some of those sports. These, these are athletic directors. You, you mentioned this before. Hey, all this other money is coming in, and we a lot of our facilities are already built up. What do we do with it? You have multiple presidents that say, we would like to give more athletic scholarships. And if you're looking for a league to show leadership, I would imagine athletic directors and presidents in this conference are going to push even harder for autonomy legislation to allow them, maybe some other peers, to give more scholarships for baseball and softball and gymnastics and track and a couple of these Olympic sports that they really care about. I have been a big skeptic of the Super League concept over in, in print and on the radio over the last couple of years. Um, I, I figured a, a formal split from the NCAA was not something that a lot of presidents wanted for, for academic reasons or for jeopardizing the tournament. This potential change gives me some pause. I have to think through it a little bit more because, we, I mean, like I, it's, this might have been either SBJ or USA Today that pointed out that there's a real chance that the SEC itself is going to generate about as much revenue as the actual NCAA, which means that the, whatever hilarious power imbalance we already had is just going to get even more tilted. And so I, my, my kind of half-assed prediction, I guess, is I think literally anything is on the table uh, beyond, like, beyond the legislative pushing to spend more money. Could in 10 years, could the SEC be a 40-team league that becomes the premier league for college football? A month ago, I would have said no way. Now I'm saying I'm listening. Could that be a a, a way you're part of a of a like a bipolar you know college football college athletics confederation for teams that are willing to spend more money like a division four, if you will, within this infrastructure? I'm not saying no. It's 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 possible. There's very little I think you could tell me that would I, I would categorically rule out about what the SEC looks like in 2031. What about you? I, I would agree completely. I think the one thing that I would be interested in is to see how much more of a broad-based athletic department a lot of these schools are, are going to have in the SEC. Yes, they're going to have extra money to play with. Uh, you know, Georgia just plucked uh, USC's national championship-winning track coach to run their track program. So I'm kind of curious: how will the SEC flex their muscles beyond just the football field? And beyond just certainly the, the basketball programs that, that make it a priority like Kentucky, I, I think it, it's going to be very interesting to me is is whether they can not just become the, the superpower in the premier conference in uh, college football like like they currently are, but is, is that going to expand to sports like soccer and 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 bas- you know women's basketball, which is, is already growing significantly? Uh, I mean, you look at it, just the the fact that the Olympic sports, the SEC is as as we're in the middle of the Olympics right now in Tokyo. They've been touting a lot of the numbers of the, the athletes that they've been getting. Is that going to be the to the detriment of someone like the Pac-12 or even the Big Ten in certain sports? That that could be a, a something else, especially with the population shifts into the SEC footprint with a lot more people go, you know, doing swimming uh, from you know the state of Florida, playing tennis. You know, some of those other non uh, you know non revenue generating sports. I, I'm very curious to see how the SEC in the next five to ten years are really going to flex their muscles on, on that front, not just on college football, but on, on other fronts as well. When you have that much money, I honestly think you can be as good as whatever that you want to be good at. Um, and you know, historically, the SEC schools, compared to other power conferences, have generally taken a view that they want to have a less expansive athletic department and focus more on excellence or at least spending on football until a lesser extent baseball until a lesser extent basketball and basketball spending has changed significantly over the last decade, but it's not a lacrosse conference. Really? It's not a wrestling conference, definitely not a hockey conference. 
Um, it's not a men's soccer conference. A lot of other sports that are, are sponsored more across the country. They haven't done as much, but the sports that they do sponsor, they really go hard in the paint over. Um, not just in terms of like coaching and salary, but in attendance and in infrastructure and in caring who actually wins. Like, you know, it's, it's, I've written about this. Like, you can be a Division One swim coach, and if you fundraise and if you graduate players at most schools, no one's going to really care if you win a conference or not. You can be a college swim coach and have a 12-year career and be a 500 program if you do all these other things. And if you do that in the SEC, your ass will be fired because like that is a place where you actually have to win. You, you, your gymnastics team is not there as a, as a way to generate tuition. Your gymnastics team is there to sell 9,000 tickets and beat Florida. Um, and if you apply that attitude to other things, I think you can be good at those things. You will have the resource to do, do those things. It's just a matter of whether they want to. Um, and I, you know, my own personal biases aside, I can't really tell you like what's the best way to do it or not, but just that with having money, you have options. You absolutely um, have options and, and nobody has more options than the SEC right now. Yeah, it's better to have options than not. Just ask a Kansas State fan. Um, we are going to do more of these for all of the other conferences. We'll be able to chat with our guests for a little bit longer. You can continue to follow those here on this podcast feed. You can find Extra Points at www.extrapointsmb.com. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. You can find Extra Points on Instagram at Extra Points MB. You can shoot me an email at Matt at Extra Points MB.com. Brian, where can people find you? As always on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Tons of great content there and uh, tons more to come as we, we get closer to a not only a new new fall sports calendar, but uh, the college football season, season itself. That's true. We've got uh, some uh, similar conversations here coming up with the ACC and the Pac-12. I got some more conference realignment news coming here to the newsletter. Just published another story about EA Sports College Football if you're interested in the video game. We're excited to, to start talking again soon. In the meantime, I'm Matt. That's Brian. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you soon.